Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like grape banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hello everyone, congratulations on not killing yourself And welcome to the voices in our heads I am the current voice in your head and living, breathing woman, Christina Hutchinson. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. I do have my fart machine on me. And this is my favorite sound. Uh, Wait, no, this is my favorite sound. Uh, <laughs> the little <laughs> at the end. Wait, let's hear it again. We gotta come up with names for farts if someone hasn't already done it. It's just so fun. Farts are so funny. So okay, look, on today's episode, I got a lot of I've got a lot of things to tell you. There's shows, there's new merch, there's I'm gonna have a donation uh, uh, plea at the end for dogs. It's all great stuff. and it's all going to be linked in the description of this very episode. So if you're driving, you don't got to write shit down because it's all in the description of the podcast. You're like, where do I get tickets? It's in the description of this podcast. How do I do? Description of this podcast. But, but Christina. That's what I have to say to that. So just know all the stuff I'm going to talk about, it's in the description of this podcast. I hope you're well. I hope you're doing good. Oh, meditate. I can't recommend it enough. It's so great. It's changing my life. Um, so tomorrow is Thanksgiving. And some people are probably relieved over the fact that they don't have to figure out plans with their family. And maybe some people are really sad about that. However you feel, please know that on Thanksgiving night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Donna Guerreros and I are having a Zoom show. We're having a Zoom show. And it's going to include a lot of comedians and some other performers of other various natures, some very surprise special guests, and some bingo. We're going to have interactive shit. If you want to be interactive, you don't have to. But there's a limited amount of tickets available, and I you should buy one if you want. They're going to be $11 because we're going to pay the performers. <laughs> and I'm trying to save up money to buy an apartment. It's not necessarily my apartment building because I've gotten a lot of DMs. That are like, well, you know, your apartment building's in Manhattan. And it's like, I know. I want to buy a building and turn it into an immersive theater experience where anyone can go and have the time of their life and reignite their creativity and remember that theater is out of the box. And to be out of the box in your thinking because it's fun. Okay? So buy a ticket if you want. <sighs> I was in CVS the other day and they were playing holiday music. And I was like, I feel like we could skip it this year right you know at the drug stores and the grocery stores i came here to buy mitol and a fresh pack of color pencils okay i don't need to be like i'm dreaming i get it all right christmas is here 2020 has not been the best year i don't think that's you know a far-fetched thing to say and it just feels like salt in the wound when I'm walking over to a drugstore to buy a lottery ticket, maybe, or the ones that have the lot of ticket machines, or a Midol, or, you know, fresh pack of colored pencils, because your girl loves coloring, because I'm a child. You don't gotta be like, these Christmas shoes. I just, we could skip it this year, you know? 
Christmas Shoes is one of my favorite holiday songs, not because it's a sad story about a little boy who's broke and is trying to buy shoes for his mom. It's just, it's, I mean, that's a sad concept. First of all, you know, what a bummer of a Christmas song. <laughs> Fuck you, you know? But also, I, I, I sing that song. I've been singing that song to Kevin. I don't know why. I got Kevin, when I got Kevin, it was March. So it was past Christmas. But I, for some reason, took liberty with the lyrics. And I was like, sir, I want to buy these shoes. Because my mom's a bitch. It's Christmas Eve and she's making me buy her shoes. Sir, I'm only 10 years old and I don't have money. But you see, my mommy's a mean lady and she wants me to buy these shoes. So can I buy these shoes? I just, I just, that song, if you change the lyrics around to make it so that the mom isn't sick and dying, but she's actually just a bitch, it's kind of funny. <laughs> hey, I'm just trying to lighten your load, guys. This is a comedy podcast after all, and sometimes we forget that, mainly me, okay? I'm adding new merch items to my merchandise items um, on November 30th, and there's going to be a discount code because Cyber Monday, and I'm not talking about cyber sex, I'm talking about shop online and give me money so I can buy an apartment building, do you know what I mean? But we're going to add a bunch of items. There are three items that are already added to the website at, at the release of this podcast. They've already been added. Uh, again, there's a link. Where is it? Description of this podcast. Uh, but three items are already on there that I came up with tonight. I just came up with them like like from my brain, from my heart, from my child ass brain and heart, from my fart. Um, and those items are a signed Polaroid photo of me with my clothes on. I'll take one and I'll sign it and I'll put my clothes on before I take it. So don't be a perv. And a personalized video with my clothes on. You pervs. It's kind of like Cameo, except I get all the money because I'm trying to save money to buy an apartment building in New York and turn it into an immersive theater experience. So a Polaroid, a personalized video like Cameo, except I get the money. Um, Cameo emails me like once a month. <laughs> They're like, Christina. Look who else is on here. I'm like, I don't care, motherfuckers. I don't want to be on your goddamn website. If I'm going to sell myself, it's going to be because I get all the profits, okay? Trying to buy a building. I don't know if you heard. Immersive Theater. Okay, thank you. And then the last thing that I came up with, it was just so random. I don't think, I don't, look, I don't know how it's going to be received. I don't, I don't, frankly, I don't give a shit, but I just thought it was funny. It's an expensive one, but it's a box of random shit for my apartment. That's all I'm going to say. You can go to the website. There's a link in the description of this podcast um, for the the description of the actual item because I thought long and hard and I made it funny and witty and there's disclaimer. There's all kinds of stuff. I'm going to sanitize the items and stuff. I just, I live in a house full of shit and I don't want all the shit because I don't got room for it. And I'm like, well, how do I do? And then I was talking to Kylie tonight. We're having a business meeting because we're business women. And I was like, what if we just sell a box of random shit for my apartment? Because I have lockers full of brand new products that are from sponsors, from guys we fucked from back in the day, like, you know, lotions, face masks, all that shit, sex toys, not used. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's very limited qualities for that because you can only give away so much random shit from your apartment before you're, it's empty. But I have a lot of a lot of books, 
oh, I have fucked being sexually exploitative and self-confident in a world that's screwed. I have a shitload of those from the publisher. And I just have a lot of random stuff, art that I've bought around the around the world, around the United States. Um, but stuff that I'm like, I don't, I'm, I, these items have expired in my heart. Not because they're terrible items, but just because I, I don't, I moved on. But what am I going to drop them off at the thrift store? None of them are open because COVID. Remember COVID? <laughs> Guys, there's a pandemic. Did you know that? <laughs> As if you need another goddamn reminder. Okay, something that I thought of to Google the other day or look up on YouTube and it made me, I was like, I feel like this is going to make me laugh and it did. People's videos from New Year's Eve welcoming in 2020. People celebrating 20, like New Year's Eve 2019 into 2020. The New Year's celebrations are so funny because they're so happy and excited for a new year <laughs> and they have no idea what's coming. <laughs> they don't even know. They're hugging and kissing each other going 2020, yay. And they're like, wow, finally a year that is perfect for face glasses that they always sell. <laughs> yay, 2020. And they're hugging and kissing each other. You're like, oh, boo-boo, you got no idea, huh? Uh. <laughs> This is so funny. <laughs> it's almost as funny as that shitty, shitty statue I talked about last week. That'll that'll never not be funny to me. Holy shit. Okay, so, I, you know, I've been talking about, I'm not, do, I, I'll do fuckboy theater when I feel like it. And this week I don't fucking feel like it. So I'm going to honor my feelings. Um, And let's hear from a man who's not a fuckboy. And I'm talking about motherfucking Ned Stabler. Do you not know who he is? That's okay. I will tell you. He's a businessman. And let me tell you a little tale, boys and girls. Wayne County in Michigan. Okay? There are two Republican canvassers who are in charge of certifying the election results in Michigan. You know, the one that Biden won? He did. I'm not going to use my fart sound effects because that is a true thing that I do not feel farty about. Okay? He won it. Two of the four canvassers, they were Republican, attempted to stop the vote certification that would have declared Biden as the winner of that county. What city's in Wayne County? Detroit? Yes, it is. Detroit has 80% black population. You don't think you see through that piece of shit? You pieces of shit. Biden won in that county by more than 146,000 votes. And yet, two turds, two... Turds try to stop it and say Trump won. It's voter fraud. Wham, 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 wham. So sad. Oh, my daddy Trump won. <laughs> Enter a business name man named Ned Stabler, okay, who delivered the type of impassioned speech that could make you forget for just one second. Well, actually, two minutes because that's how long the speech was. It will make you forget for two minutes. That 2020 was a flaming ball of turds. And I'm just going to give you some quotes from the speech. And then you can go look it up later and watch the whole thing, okay? So he's a businessman in uh, Wayne County. He's a white guy. And he, uh, man, I watched that video so many times because I was like, God damn it, Ned. How are you today, sir? I wish you fucking well. And this is, these are some quotes from his speech that he gave to, to the board of electors or canvassers or whatever. I still don't really know how this works. America. Um, 
And here's some quotes from his speech. I just want to let you know that the Trump stink, wait, (laughs) the stain of racism that you, William Hartman and Monica Palmer, have just covered yourself in is going to follow you throughout history. Okay, Newt. Your grandchildren are going to think of you like Bull Connor or George Wallace. And in the article that I pull these quotes from, they're two Southern segregationists, which to that I say, go fuck yourself, who opposed, who were opposed to the civil rights movement. You disenfranchised hundreds of thousands of black voters in Detroit because you were ordered to. Just know when you try to sleep tonight, that millions of people around the world on Twitter na- know the name Monica Palmer and William Hartman as two completely racist and without an understanding of what integrity means or a shred of human decency. The law isn't on your side. History won't be on your side. Your conscience won't be on your side. And oh, this is my favorite part, you guys. And Lord knows, this is such a good part. Oh, God. When you go to meet your maker, your soul is going to be very, very warm. I mean, Jesus Christ. Watch the whole goddamn thing later. It's fucking great. It's fucking great. Oh, hell yeah, Ned. See, I'd rather highlight Ned than some guy's like, I want to fuck your pussy. And some girl's like, um, I don't know you. And the guy's like, I'm going to kill you. Like, all right, we got enough of that. I'm trying to spread positivity. And also, Black Lives Matter. And we need to be talking about that for until we die. Okay? Okay? Until all of us are treated equally, none of us are equal. Okay? <coughs> Suck on that. <laughs> As if you're against me. I don't know. Sometimes I defend myself when there's no defending that needed to be had. Okay, let's get into... Uh, I'm going to cover chapter four of David Burns feeling great the revolutionary new treatment for depression and anxiety he probably doesn't say it like that because he's a professional but I really I was I was I was reading the next couple chapters and I was like which one do I want to highlight and this is a a story this chapter is called Karen's story quote I'm a bad mom and at first I saw that and I was like I don't want to touch that I can't talk about mommies right now it's a little bit of a sensitive subject y'all understand right but then I was like let me read it and I read it and I was like, this is a great, this is a great, this is a great example. And it's nothing to do with, it's just, I just, you know, I'm still having trouble, but you know, it's okay. Parents are still blocked. I still occasionally feel very severe guilt, but I also know that it's the right thing to do. So I'm just reminding myself publicly on this podcast in hopes of giving myself a hug. Okay. <laughs> so. This is an example that highlights David Byrne's use of da- a daily mood journal. He, he, he talks about how powerful of a tool a daily mood journal is. And it go, we're going to go into great detail as to why. And we'll talk about Karen. Um, hopefully she's a good Karen. You know what I mean? Uh, who knows? Uh, can we call male Karens not Kevin and just call them? Can we call? Okay, here's an idea. Christina 2021. I'm going to run for Senate. Can we call male Karens? Or we could call male Karens. Or we can call them. Just not Kevin. 
Just kidding. It's fine. You call him whatever you want. It's fine. I know, Kevin, you're my baby, and you don't discriminate. Any, you don't discriminate. You don't even give a shit. You lick dogs' asses at the dog park. And sometimes he doesn't want to lick their ass, and they want to lick his. And he's like, no, no. And I was like, goddamn, Kevin, you really stand up for yourself good, huh? That's nice. Teach me your ways. And Kevin's like, bitch, just be yourself. And I'm like, it's harder than you think, Kev. Harder than you think. You have a loving mother who raised you with self-esteem and intent. Well, you know, it's not hard to raise a dog bad. Or well. Anyway, let's get into Karen's story about how she's a bad mom. <laughs> God, I can't even say that without going. Ugh. So this is going to highlight the importance of a daily mood journal. Um, and, and it's it's good. I mean, a journal, some, a journal, when I say a journal, you might think, oh, Christina, I don't want another thing on my to-do list. Well, girl or boy or they or them, you got to have more relaxation in your life because if that stresses you out, you got to reprioritize. Okay, so this patient, her name was Karen. Uh, she had been struggling with feelings of depression, guilt, anxiety, and anger following a traumatic event nine years ago. And all this, the, the, he has these, sessions where he basically treats somebody in like you know he has like an eight-hour session where therapists come and an audience comes and he'll treat somebody and he'll basically show you how easy it is to lift your depression and anxiety in a day and I know you might be thinking what well I'm here to demystify that okay so this is a woman that they worked with at a conference, so in front of people. So she was very generous to tell her story. Um, he writes about how, like, she's there, he's very thankful that this woman, Karen, you know, was willing to share so much, and he, he was honored and couldn't believe it. And I thought about all the times that Corinne and I have been uh, in on tour in a city, and somebody just comes up. I mean, it happens all the time. People just come up and just tell us their deepest, darkest secrets. But it's this beautiful moment of all that weight that it, that you carried on top of that secret or thing or event or feeling, it dissipates when you talk about it out loud. It starts to, okay? It's a powerful thing. Here's what happened to Karen, okay? Nine years earlier, Karen's 12-year-old daughter, Ashley, asked if she could go out and play after dinner. Karen had mixed feelings because it was getting late, but said it was okay since Ashley went out to play at that time. Unfortunately, some neighborhood boys with a high-powered pellet rifle, oh, Jesus Christ, snuck up on Ashley, well, that's fucking rude, and shot her in the face. Um, ouchies. <laughs> they said they didn't think the gun was loaded. I call bullshit. But that's besides the point, y'all. Luckily, the bullet didn't kill her, but it did blow out her front tooth, including the roots. Ashley ran inside sobbing, screaming, and bleeding profusely. Over the next nine years, Ashley endured multiple dental surgeries to repair the damage to her mouth, along with extensive psychiatric treatment for PTSD. Yeah, no shit. The tragic event was also enormously traumatic for Karen, who blamed herself for what happened. Since that night, Karen had not experienced one moment of happiness or relief. We asked Karen to fill out a daily mood journal so we could see exactly how she was thinking and feeling. Because, you know, you can't, you can't be general with this shit, right? You can't just be like, I'm sad because my daughter, this happened to my daughter and I feel like a piece of shit. Get, you got to get specific with your thoughts. The first step in the daily mood uh, journal is briefly to describe an upsetting event that you want help with. So this is what Karen wrote down. Sitting here in the workshop feeling extremely upset about Ashley. 
Okay, so then they had Karen fill out um, in this mood journal all the negative negative emotions. So there was a chart. There was all these negative emotions, and she circled the ones that she felt, and she put a percentage of how strongly she believed these feelings. And she circled sad, anxious, worried, panicky, guilty, remorseful, inadequate, hopeless, discouraged, stuck, resentful. Basically, a whole bunch of... So why was Karen feeling so bad? That may seem like a foolish question. And most people would probably say, the answer should be obvious. It's because her daughter was shot in the face. I'm reading that verbatim for the book. But that's not the reason. You pieces of shit. That was creative liberty by me. The cause of Karen's intense and prolonged negative feelings go to the very heart of an idea that's been around for at least 2,000 years. The events of this world do not cause our suffering. Instead, our thoughts about what's happening all create negative and positive feelings. This is a powerful and simple notion that can change your life, but it is so basic that it can be hard to grasp at first and maybe hard to believe too. So if there's something that is on your mind and you're like, I'm a piece of shit, and me saying, you can cure that. And you're like, nah, well, listen up friends, you're in luck. So these are the specific negative thoughts that Karen wrote in this, in this mood journal, okay? And how she felt about them. I'll, I'll read a few. Uh, one, I should never have let her go out and play. She never would have suffered from severe PTSD and depression. So the percentage that she believed this thought was 100. That's a lot, y'all. That's as most as you can be. Another thought she had, I'm a bad mom. That she rated at 75%. Another thought, I should have not trusted the doctors who put her on all kinds of psychiatric medications that only made things worse. She rated that 100%. Another another thought, it's my fault that her childhood was ruined. I'll have to spend the rest of my life trying to make it up to her. Those are both at 100%. There's a bunch of other negative thoughts in here, but I'll just give you a couple to give you an idea of what Karen was thinking because it's important to be specific. What are the things you're telling yourself? Remember when I looked, we read the four agreements? We went over that? These thoughts, it's like she wrote down, I'm a bad mom. She agreed to that. The thought came to her and she's like, yep, mm -hmm, I am. And then she just believed it. And that's not good. That's a whole bunch of poopy, okay? These negative thoughts were the cause of Karen's emotional distress. I don't mean to minimize the awfulness of what happened. Seeing your beautiful and innocent daughter getting shot in the face is is truly horrific. I mean, yeah. But Karen's thoughts about the event were the real cause of her intense negative feelings. And she was still suffering nine years later because her mind was flooded by the same negative thoughts. How strongly she believed these thoughts, which she recorded, uh, you you should do that too. So say, the ne- like if there's an event that's causing you great pain, like a traumatic thing, write down all the negative thoughts you have about that and rate, rating them is important. And it's important for the author because then he's going to tell you how she doesn't feel that way anymore. Spoiler alert, she's cured. Not fully, but she's, this is a pretty good example. Uh, these ratings were all high, which makes sense because when you're upset, you'll always be convinced that your negative thoughts are true. Feelings aren't facts, y'all. Remember that forever. And this brings us to the necessary and sufficient conditions for emotional distress. To feel upset, two things are required. One, a necessary condition, so you must have a negative thought. And the second is sufficient condition. You must believe that negative thought. 
To feel emotional distress, you must have a negative thought in your mind. That's a necessary condition. Oh, I just read that. Okay, so if you have a negative thought that you don't believe, then it won't upset you. I mean, yeah. For example, dwell on this thought for a moment. The world will end in five seconds. Does that thought upset you? I didn't think so. You probably don't believe it, and that's why it doesn't make you anxious. I mean, unless it does make you anxious, in which case you gotta, you gotta get out your treasure map, motherfuckers, and figure out the source of that. If a stand-up comedian on a fucking podcast is making an imaginary situation she's reading out of a book saying the world will end in five seconds, that makes you go, oh no, then you gotta look into that, okay? It's not a bad thing, you just gotta look into it. You must believe a negative thought before it can upset you. If you don't believe it, then it will have no impact on you. And learning to challenge and disprove your own negative thoughts is one of the most important goals of this book. Like guys, so I've been reading this book, right? Like I've been reading this book that we're reading. And today, earlier, when I was smoking a cigarette, I will quit eventually, get off my dick. Um, uh, I, I was looking at my Instagram notifications and the guy left a comment on Corinne's uh, photo about how somebody on a podcast was saying that I was a slut, basically. And I read it and I, I, I just started laughing. And I was like, wasn't that nice? Because normally I'd be like, what are you talking about? Give me the timestamp of the podcast episode. I must figure out who said what. And then I'll be very sad and smoke weed and color in my law. Hell, I, none of that shit happened. I did not give that piece of turd <laughs> my consent to make me feel inferior. What? Suck my dick. But it just didn't bother me because I'm like, I don't give a fuck. And I was just, it was just nice. So I didn't believe what he was saying. And I, frankly, I just I didn't care what he was saying. And it, it made me go, ha, ha, ha. And then I commented back because I'm trying this new strategy on my social media where if someone's trying to be a little meanie fart face, I comment back and I say that I'll, th I'll send loving vibes to you in my meditation later. And I will look at your profile and roast the shit out of you to myself. This guy was, uh, one of the first posts he had was like, how abortions murder and I was like yeah that's on brand dude keep doing you you're so predictable you fucking hack okay you must believe a negative thought before it can upset you if you don't believe it then it will have no impact on you and learning to challenge and disprove your own negative thoughts is one of the most important goals of this book yeah I read it twice because it's an important goal and I'm feeling like I'm gonna read it twice let's return to Karen let's right now she probably does not understand uh, that her emotional distress results from her negative thoughts. And even though she's very intelligent, she still believes, like most, almost everybody, that her suffering results from an actual event, the horrific trauma that her daughter endured. This way of thinking is totally understandable and practically universal, but it can make you a victim of forces beyond your control. I love that part, y'all. That's because there's no way Karen can change or undo what happened. Her daughter really did get shot in the face. <laughs> it just sounds funny. I know it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. Her daughter really did get shot in the face. But if she can change the way she's thinking about the traumatic event, then she can change the way she feels. And that's the goddamn rub. Okay? That is the motherfucking rub. If you could change... Your thoughts about the event, you will change the way you feel. And I take this shit seriously. 
How seriously you ask? Well, I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. I think of it like an athlete. A pro, a professional athlete has to have so much willpower and so much endurance and so much discipline, so much self-discipline to in order to achieve an athletic goal. The piano is a great example. God, the piano is just a great metaphor for so many things. You have if you want to learn a song, you have to fuck up and you have to practice. But but if you want to change your thoughts about an event, you have to practice because it's it's going to take fucking up and not being able to get to a place where you're positively you could change it change it around, turn it around. You got to keep trying and trying and trying and then eventually you'll be able to figure it out. Now Karen here pretty much did it in one day before your eyes, but she had professional help. But it's, you have to talk back to the poopy thoughts in your head. You have to talk back to them. I've, I've been doing that all week, all month, all of my life. Uh, well, but I've been talking back to my negative thoughts about my guilt a lot lately. Because the second it pops up, I notice it. And the reason I notice it, because I meditate. And I have time to notice my thoughts instead of believing that they're truth and believing that my feelings are facts. But guess what? They're not. <laughs> You have to talk back to these thoughts, guys. You just got it. You got to go, fuck you, mister. I'm good. You just have to believe it. Okay? So, uh, you know, a lot this past couple months, my, my guilt has been creeping up. And then I talk back to it. I go, Christine. And, I, and this is what I say to myself. This is what I say. This is what you should say. You can say to yourself. You don't have to. But I say, Christina, you are exactly in the right place right now. You are doing exactly the right thing. You are safe. You are a good person. You are who you wanted to be your whole life. And you are doing great. So make that your goddamn ringtone. Um, so all your emotions result from the thoughts in the here and now. We all create our own emotional reality at every moment of every day. For example, if you're telling yourself that this is too good to be true and that it couldn't possibly work for you because your problems are so severe, then you are probably feeling skeptical or even hopeless. Or if you're telling yourself that I'm a con artist, I'm meaning the author of the book, a fraud or a phony, then you're probably feeling angry or annoyed. Or if you're telling yourself that this is kind of exciting and promising, something that could help you or even change your life, then you're probably feeling excited and hopeful. Now that's a beautiful example of your thoughts creating how you feel. I'm just gonna pause, let that sink in. Everyone is reading the same thing, meaning his book, or listening to me say it, but everyone feels differently depending on the thoughts or cognitions they are having. My words cannot affect you. Only your thoughts can make you feel the way you do. Yeah, take that. The idea that our thoughts create our moods is a fantastic and potentially empowering notion. I mean, I would say it is an empowering notion. And here's another fantastic notion that I could hardly swallow when I first learned about it more than 40 years ago. The negative thoughts that trigger our pain. This is very interesting. The negative thoughts that trigger our pain are usually distorted, illogical, and unrealistic. That is why they are called cognitive distortions. Um... You learned a little bit about cognitive distortions in chapter two, or you heard a comedian basically summarize it for you. Essentially, a cognitive distortion is a highly misleading way of thinking about yourself or the world. The, uh, it's a way of fooling yourself. And we talked about the cognitive distortions a couple weeks ago. All or nothing thinking, 
overgeneralization, mental filter, where you dwell on the negatives and ignore the positives. Well, not a lot of people that do that. <coughs> Houston, over. There's too many people that do that. Uh, jumping to conclusions. <laughs> a lot of people do that. Um, emotional reasoning, which is you reason from your feelings. I feel like an idiot, so I must be one. Should statements, and that's my kryptonite, y'all. Or it was should statements. You use shoulds, shouldn'ts, musts, oughts, and have to. It basically creates guilt. You feel like a guilty sack of poop. Okay, those are the cognitive distortions. Those are some of them. Take a look at Karen's third negative thought. I'm a bad mom. Then review the list of cognitive distortions and check off all the distortions that seem to apply. And I checked a lot of them. And then the author was like, you won. And I'm like, I did win, David. Thank you. I'm the best. And he's like, calm down. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I got to go. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, you can make a case for a lot of distortions and arguably all 10 for Karen's thought of I'm a bad mom. So here I'm just going to read a couple examples of how of the cognitive distortion that it is and why. So overgeneralization. Karen is generalizing one negative event, her daughter getting shot in the face. <laughs> To her entire self. <laughs> Look, it's not funny when someone gets shot in the face, but reading this with in the context of the subject we're talking about, it, it gives me a giggle, okay? Mental filter. She spends almost all her time thinking about the trauma and overlooking all the loving things she's done for her daughter both before and after the trauma occurred. Discounting the positive. Sure, honey, you got shot in the face, but we fixed it. That's not it. This would be the case of she's also telling herself that her loving activities don't count because of the trauma. Um, labeling. I mean, saying she's a bad mom is a classic example of labeling. There's no explanation here for that. Emotional reasoning. Karen feels guilty. Emotional reasoning. I do a lot. Karen feels guilty. So she concludes she is is a bad mom and that she must be guilty for the shooting. Her daughter got shot in the face. Why did I want Karen to write down her negative thoughts in the Daily Mood Journal? And why would I want you to do the same? Well, I don't know, David. Why don't you tell me, Daddy Burns? When you record your negative thoughts on paper, it makes it much easier to see exactly what you're telling yourself. In addition, it becomes vastly easier to identify the distortions in each negative thought. If you try to do this in your head without the written work, you may just keep cycling painfully from one negative thought to the next without getting anywhere. And honestly, that could dig you in a deeper hole, y'all. You got to write it down. You got to write it down. But if you write them down, you can begin the process of challenging your thoughts and replacing them with more realistic, positive thoughts. And that is where emotional change occurs. And basically, we're healed. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not even halfway through. Now, <clears throat> Oop, my thing got stuck. Now, let's examine the other side of the coin by looking at the conditions required for emotional change. You have to challenge your negative thoughts with a positive thought. That is true. Um, yeah, remember the truth? <laughs> it's there somewhere, guys. You just got to dig for it. Sometimes when you're upset, people will try to cheer you up with positive, reassuring statements like, you're a good person, or look on the bright side, or something lame like that. In most cases... These statements won't be helpful, and they might even be downright irritating. Yeah, no shit, Daddy Burns. There ain't nothing worse than going through something real fucked up and feeling a lot of ways about it, and then someone's like, brighten up. <laughs> you want to punch him in the fucking face. I've had, I mean, look, and you, I know, look, people, we got to take more seconds to think before we talk. So if you're having a friend that's going through, I've had many, 
multiple friends this past two weeks going through things that are very traumatic. And I had to take a second before I wanted to fix it because your girl wants to fix it. But guess what? Your girl can't fix it because I'm not them. I'm me. I'm your girl. And also, that's going to stress the person out even more. Don't make it about you, Christina. All right, fine. Fuck you. Just trying to help. Now let's look at uh, the sufficient condition for emotional change. The positive thought that must crush the negative thought. In other words, the positive thought must drastically decrease your belief in the negative thought, okay? So it can't be like, cheer up, bitch. Fuck you, you know? When you change the way you think, you change the way you feel. I repeat, when you change the way you think, you change the way you feel. But this has to happen at the gut level. It has to be real and not just for some intellectual nonsense or positive thinking that doesn't ring true. Because we all know those people that are just fucking miserable, y'all. And they bitch, 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 and everything's wrong. And then you go in their home, and what is their refrigerator covered in? What kind of magnets? Positive thought magnets. And you're like, bitch, do you even read these? Do you even read these, bitch? Because you yap, yap, yapping all day about how shit sucks. And then I come home to your house, and it's like, believe. Well, believe what? That the world's a piece of shit? For example, Karen will not be able to challenge and defeat the thought, I'm a bad mom, by telling herself, I'm a good mom, because she won't believe this thought. But once she's identified the distortion in the negative thought, that's the key, y'all, it will be much easier for her to challenge and crush it. The very moment Karen stops believing the distorted negative thoughts that have been causing so much pain for the past nine years, her negative feelings will instantly improve and may even disappear completely. This is true for you too. But changing Karen's thoughts was not going to be easy because Karen was a bitch. I'm just kidding, I had that. Because she was a smart lady who had been trying to fight her depression for nine years and she was still convinced her negative thoughts were absolutely true. Perhaps you felt the same about your own negative thoughts. Yeah, David, maybe I have. So sue me, but don't shoot me in the face like Karen's daughter. Before we jump, uh, before we jumped in and tried to fix Karen, he put fixed in quotes, and that made me laugh. We did a couple of important things. First, we empathized with Karen and provided some warmth, compassion, and support. Well, that's good. You got to make the person feel safe. And when someone's telling you something really fucking sad, empathize. Unless you're a serial killer, in which case you can't, which case you should stay home and don't kill nobody. We paraphrased her negative thoughts and feelings in the spirit of warmth and acceptance and followed several guidelines that helped us avoid common errors therapists and loved ones sometimes make with interacting with someone who's upset. And here are the things that they did that they didn't do that a lot of times you, me, Johnny, Jane, Stu, Derek, we've, we've all done this. Or we've all, and we've all had this done to us. But here's the key things that, that David Byrne did not do. We didn't try to help Karen or give her any advice while she was telling her, her story. Because this is, this, is, this is what goes into actually listening to somebody, okay? And this is something that I had to learn. And it took a lot of my friends being like, Christina, can I just vent to you? And you not try to fucking fix it? And I was like, wait, you don't want me to fix it? And you're like, I just want to vent and get my feelings out. I'm like, oh, but you don't want me to fix it? I got a toolbox. I can fix it. And they're like, no. Like, okay, I guess I'll just listen. And they're like, thank you. So this is what goes into listening that they did to Karen. We didn't try to help Karen or give her any advice. We didn't try to rescue or save Karen. <sighs> we should have. No, I'm just kidding. 
We didn't try to cheer her up. Jesus Christ, can you imagine? Oh, cheer up. Your daughter's not that fucked up. We didn't try to challenge or correct any of her distorted thoughts. That's an important one. Because I feel like it's very common for another person to say, oh, you're not this. Someone was like, I'm a bad mom. You're not a bad mom. Don't fucking say that. The point is, they feel like that. You got to get to the root of it. But you're not a therapist. Or you are. Listen, a lot of therapists do listen to this. And that makes me nervous. So I'm going to think about something else now. We didn't try to encourage her. We didn't try to help her or solve any of her problems. We didn't try to reassure Karen or insist that she was a good mom. Empathy involves learning to listen and let the person tell his or her, her story. His or her story. <laughs> if it's a woman, she's a whore and just know that all women are whores. I'm going to repeat that. <laughs> I don't edit this podcast, clearly. I don't, I don't edit things out. Empathy involves learning to listen and let the person tell his or her story. All right, Karen, and then they said, okay, so now, so, okay, so they had, and this is all taking place, by the way, on a stage in front of people, but she obviously willingly participated. So, okay, so then they asked Karen a miracle cure question. Karen, let's assume that a miracle happens here today and you go out of here of the session feeling fantastic. What miracle would you be asking for? I thought that was an interesting question. And Karen answered. She said, uh, Karen said that after nine years of misery, she would like to feel happy and at peace again. Then I asked the magic button question, which you already are familiar with, and I already repeated it, so you are. Karen, let's imagine that there's a magic button right in front of you, and if you press it, all of your negative feelings and thoughts will suddenly disappear with no effort at all, and you'll be flooded with joy and self-esteem. Will you press that button? Karen said, yes, I would press that button. I would press that button. Um... And then she said, Karen, as I know, uh, as you know, there is no magic button. <laughs> but we do have some wonderful tools to help you change the way you're thinking and feeling. And although I can't guarantee anything, it's entirely possible that a small miracle could happen here today. In fact, I predict that a miracle probably will happen. But first, I think we need to take a step back and ask if we really want to do that. I'm not so sure it would be a good idea. Karen seemed confused and asked, why not? And I also did ask that as well when I was reading it. Dr. Levitt, this is a, psych a psychologist who helped him with this experiment. Dr. Levitt and I explained it was because her negative thoughts and feelings. This is the interesting part. I said I was going to read an interesting part earlier, but this is what I was talking about. Dr. Levitt and I explained it was because her negative thoughts and feelings might reflect some really positive and awesome things about her. And there might be some important benefits or advantages of her negative thoughts and feelings. What? Before we tried to change anything, we asked if we could list the advantages of her negative thoughts and feelings, as well as many positive and awesome things that these negative thoughts and feelings showed about her. Now you might be sitting there going, what the fuck? Well, don't worry, boys and girls and days and thems, I'm gonna explain it. Uh, this technique is a very powerful technique that Dr. Burns, Daddy Burns, calls positive reframing. So basically, she took, they took the, the, the negative feelings she was feeling. And he listed some advantages to those negative feelings and core values in Karen that that negative feeling reflects. So here's an example. This is from a chart in the book. Guilt. Ooh, gives me the willies just thinking about it. So advantages. What are some of the advantages, benefits of this negative thought or feeling? So for Karen, guilt 
she oh this is what she actually wrote it never mind they made her write it which is good because it's like let's step out of the box and do something that most therapists would probably not ask you to do and ask you how it is what truly not in a sarcastic piece of shit way but truly what is an advantage to feeling guilt karen wrote my guilt has motivated me to do everything possible to help my daughter physically and emotionally for the past nine years my guilt may prevent me from making a similar mistake in the future. And I read that and I was like, well, goddamn it, Karen. That's a good point. Where's this daddy burns going? And a core value. What does this negative thought or feeling show about you that is positive and awesome? My guilt is an expression of my intense love for my daughter. Well, that's true as hell. My guilt reveals my sense of responsibility as a parent. Again, fucking true. My guilt shows that I take my role as a mother seriously. My guilt shows that I have a moral compass and high standards. Now you see how arriving at that conclusion about your guilt is so much better than a friend saying, oh, you're great. Don't feel guilty. Sally, fuck you. No one's talking to you. Here's another um, thought. I'm a bad mom. She wrote that down in her journal, remember? So what's the advantage to her thinking I'm a bad mom. My self-critical thoughts show that I have high standards. Well, God damn it, Karen, yeah. My high standards have motivated me to achieve a great deal in my career and to do my best for my family. Well, that's fucking true too. Now, what are the core values that are reflected in her thought that she's a bad mom? This is what she wrote. When I say I'm a bad mom, it might actually show that I'm a good mom because I really care. See, it's, it's, this isn't some fake bullshit. She's actually diving into her own psyche. Humanity is a spiritual quality, or humility, excuse me. Humility is a spirit, so this is humanity, a spiritual quality, and I want to be a spiritual person. My religious faith is central to my life. And finally, my self-criticism show that I'm willing to be accountable and examine my own mistakes rather than blaming everyone else. Well, now, God damn it, Karen, you make some good points. If we had tried to reduce or eliminate Karen's feelings of guilt without considering the many truly positive things that came along with it, then she almost definitely would have resisted our efforts. Remember when we talked about resistance? Well, this is why. If she were to press the magic button and her guilt had suddenly disappeared, it would be like saying she didn't really care. That is a, I read that and I was like, well, God damn it, Daddy Burns. That's a good fucking point. I'm gonna read that again. Uh, what am I going to read again? This one. If she were to press the magic button and her guilt had suddenly disappeared, it would be like saying she didn't really care about her daughter because at the root of her guilt is her desire and her important, the importance that she places on being a good mom. And that's an awesome quality. You can do positive reframing with any negative thought or feeling. When we continued listing positives, Karen soon got into the swing of it. And the three of us came up with an impressive list of 25 positives. I think it is fair to say Karen was stunned. I mean, I was fucking stunned, Daddy Burns. She'd been so used to thinking that there was something wrong with her when her suffering was actually the expression of what was right with her. And that is a revolution that I've made in therapy. Oh, so many times. And I hope you do too, or you have too. That's the great thing about positive reframing. It can help you develop some empathy towards yourself. God, if you develop empathy to your, towards yourself, swear to God, guys, I swear to fucking God, sky's the limit. Instead of hating yourself and feeling ashamed of being damaged or defective, 
You can be proud of all your negative feelings as you discover so many beautiful things about yourself. And that type of internal acceptance or self-empathy is really the most important key to recovery. It's not something that others can give you, but it is something that you can give yourself. You just got to journal. Okay, now they're going to um, talk about the methods phase of this session that they had with Karen, meaning like, how the fuck can she fucking fix herself? Whenever I'm working with people who are depressed or anxious, I always ask them to select one negative thought from their daily mood journal that they want to work on first. This is tremendously important. I can't help you or anyone in a general sort of way. We've got to work with something very narrow and very specific. But the impact and implication of that can be tremendous, as you're about to see. Karen selected the first negative thought she identified in her journal, which was, I should have never let her go out and play. She never would have suffered from severe PTSD and depression. Okay, so that's the thought she picked. It dawned on me, uh, okay, and then, and then basically the author asked her to label like what cognitive distortions out of this whole list of 10 apply to that thought of I should have never let her go out and play. She never would have suffered from severe PTSD or depression. And he lists a cut like he lists a bunch that he thinks it was mental filter. Karen was thinking only about her daughter's trauma and judging herself as a bad mother because of this one event. Um, discounting the positive, Karen was not thinking about all the loving things she had done for her daughter before the trauma and ever since. And she might even have been tempted to say those positive things didn't count since her decision led to the traumatic event. So discounting the positives. And then she also put fortune telling. She put fortune telling as one of the cognitive distortions. Um, and then this is what Nathaniel had to say. Because er, Nathaniel, this is not Nathaniel Brandon. God damn it. This daddy burns. This is what daddy burns had to say. Because when she listed fortune telling, he was like, wait, what? And then it dawned on me that Karen's negative thought was a somewhat unusual example of fortune telling. She was telling herself that she should have been able to predict the future so she could prevent this bad thing from happening. But no human being can predict the future. When I mentioned this, Karen had an aha moment and realized that she'd been expecting the impossible from herself. You could see the pain draining out of her face almost instantly, and she looked away more relaxed. And she looked way more relaxed. I can't predict the future. I had no way of knowing she would get shot in the face. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, when she walked out of the door that night. And Karen, you're goddamn right. So that is a huge. That's where we're, I'm saying, this is a, the, I'm giving you an example of get, getting that treasure map, map out, y'all, and search for the clues of your sad feelings that are not facts. So she had basically been holding herself accountable all these years and feeling guilt and shame and all these things. And then when she identified the fact that she was expecting herself to be, have been able to predict that her daughter was going to get shot in the face, no one could predict that. Except the person, if they're planning on shooting you in the face. Otherwise, you can't predict that. So you can let yourself go. You can free yourself from that thought because that's not a thing that people do. I mean, some people are psychics. And then some people say they're psychics and they want you to pay $300 for you to clear their energy because they say you got a dark cloud over you. And you're like, oh, I got to go. And then you owe your psychic $300. And then the building gets demolished and you feel guilty about it for a while. But then you talk back to the thought. Yeah, I can't, so she said, I can't predict the future. I had no way of knowing she would get shot in the face when she walked out of the door that night. From your perspective, this might seem obvious and not really an aha moment because you're not Karen, 
bitch. I added the bitch part. But when you're struggling with your own feelings of self-criticism or self-doubt, your own negative thoughts will feel every bit as realistic and compelling as Karen's. That's one of the truly amazing things about depression and anxiety. We convince ourselves that our own extremely distorted and unfair negative thoughts are absolutely valid. Let that fucking sink in. And so then she, they had her take her mood journal and turn that negative thought that she used, wanted to use as an example, and that negative thought was, I should have never let her go out and play. She never would have suffered from PTSD and depression. And after they were like, hey, you know, and she labeled all the cognitive distortions that were associated with that thought. And then she realized that she was expecting herself to be a psychic and predict the future. So then they wanted her to write down a po- if she felt a positive way about that same thought. And she wrote down, it was her routine to go out and play every night. This night was no different. A loving mother lets her child go out to play. I'd been doing that for years and had no way of knowing she was about to get shot. <laughs> this is all good. We can laugh because she didn't die and she's fine and Karen's fine. And we're all fine. And she put, he wanted her, he, Karen to put what percentage did she believe that thought to be true that she just wrote down and Karen wrote down fucking 100 in the early stages of cognitive therapy I rarely saw such incredibly rapid changes but I see this all the time now I'm convinced this is because of the powerful effect of positive reframing once you see the positive side of your negative thoughts and feelings it becomes much easier to challenge and defeat them got to write shit down y'all be specific so here are some other things that karen wrote down that were contrasting to the negative thoughts she originally wrote down so one of them was i'm a bad mom and this is the positive thought that she put in that she this is in her own words good mothers cannot protect their children from everything i'm a very loving caring and and supportive mother while it is true that i cannot protect her from everything that doesn't make me a bad mother and she said she believed that 100 percent And here's how she rewrote, I have to spend the rest of my life trying to make it up to her. That was one of the negative thoughts she wrote. And she labeled all the cognitive distortions that she could see that were attached to that thought. And then the positive reframing of that thought was, this is from her own words, I'd rather spend the rest of my life enjoying my daughter and rejoicing that she's alive rather than feeling guilty. Oh, that's so beautiful. And then the last one I'm going to read, I can never be truly happy because I never know if she's going to be stable. She labeled all the cognitive distortions for that. And then she wrote a positive reframing of that, which was, I can finally let go of the guilt I've been carrying around for years and reclaim my happiness. I've paid for this long enough. You may remember that exposure is the key to overcoming uh, our, your fears. When you discover that the monster has no teeth, then you'll experience a joyous jolt of enlightenment. Ugh. I repeat, when you discover that the monster has no teeth, then you'll experience a joyous jolt of enlightenment. That is such a great way to describe that because there have been a lot of moments in my journey, in therapy, and just by my, a lot of times by myself. Because I stay up late at night and I used to make myself feel bad about it. Like, I should go to bed. And then I'm like, fuck you, Christina. And I was like, okay. And then I went masturbated and then I stayed up late and I was like, no, I am creative at night. My inner child comes alive at night and I'm going to goddamn enjoy it. But I've had a lot of moments while 
listening to audiobooks, reading books, going through therapy, and just thinking about stuff and meditating, where I realize that I've been holding myself to the standard, like I should have been able to predict the future. And then you go, wait, no one could do that. Fucking relax, you dumb bitch. But in a funny way. Karen courageously asked, okay, so this is the other thing, because one of the other thoughts that she wrote down, I skipped that at the beginning, was um, because she's doing this, again, in front of a group of people. That's very vulnerable, y'all. But one of the thoughts she wrote down is the therapist and the audience may judge me. The therapist won't like me. They'll think I'm a bad mom. And so with regards to that, that's why he was bringing up exposure therapy. So Karen courageously asked if some of the audience members would be willing to walk up to one of the microphones so she could ask them what they thought of her. Now, well, goddamn, isn't that a direct way to find out if people think you're a piece of shit? <laughs> because basically, Dr. Burns encouraged her, like, go ask, ask the therapist. So this is something you wrote down that you're scared of. Well, why don't you find out and, uh, instead of assuming, you dumb bitch? He didn't say that. And she's not a dumb bitch. We were all dumb bitches at one point, y'all. It's okay. We are learning. We're growing. So Karen courageously asked if some of the audience members would be willing to walk up to one of the microphones so you could ask them what they thought of her. Many people rushed to the front and told Karen, one by one, how they'd been touched and inspired by her courage and how she had become their hero that night. Most had tears streaming down their cheeks. Their comments were mind-blowing. Karen could hardly, hardly believe what she was hearing, and her disbelief in the last three negative thoughts she had dropped had dropped to zero. She looked stunned, even dazed. And that's why I also think the power of sharing stories, the power of sharing something traumatic that's happened to you, just knowing that it's not you. Because a lot of times when you go through something traumatic, sexual assault is a great example. It's very common for a person who's been sexually assaulted to blame themselves. And... Take all of the, I mean, society, yes, society has a lot to do with that, but also your internal mechanisms are at play there. And it's, and it's, and it's really, you know, you're going to think that it's your, there's just so many reasons why a person c- could go there in their head. Um, but sharing stories of, of sexual assault, for example, will make you understand that, first of all, this shit happens way too often. Way too often, okay? Way too often. A lot. Happens a lot. But sharing stories about other people who've experienced the same thing, just, you're not, you're not alone, motherfuckers. You're not alone. Whatever you're feeling right now, if, you're ashamed, if you have something in your life that you're ashamed of, or you feel immense guilt about, or you feel like you're beating yourself up for, you are not alone. No matter how specific the situation and I promise you, you might really think, Christina, no, you're wrong about this one. This thing I feel like shit about is pretty shitty. It's very specific. I guarantee you somebody else has gone through that. Okay? And then she re-rated her feelings of guilt and shame. Um, all those emotions that she had circled at the top. Sad, anxious, guilty, inadequate, hopeless. And she wrote all those percentages down. 90, 100, 180. And then he, he wanted to fill out the last column of this, uh, of this graph, which was, how do you feel now? Do you feel, these, do you feel sadness? Do you feel anxious? And she wrote for sadness, zero. Anxious, zero. And then for guilty, she was all cute, and she wrote minus 1,000. And I was like, oh, Karen, you crazy. And by crazy, I mean, you healthy. You care, girl. You good. 
Um, we asked Karen if these changes were real or if she was just being nice for the demonstration. If the changes were real, what were the healing elements of the session? After all, she'd been struggling with intense feelings of sadness, guilt, anxiety, and anger for nine years. And now it looked like she had totally recovered in one therapy session. Was this possible? And if so, why did this happen? Karen said, I don't know what the hell just happened. Wow. It was amazing. It was a miracle. While you're reading this book, we'll see if we can work a little miracle for you too. And that's the end of that part, y'all, where I talk about this book. Again, Feeling Great by David Burns. We're going to be going into this until Feel Your Feelings January because boy, do I got a book for you. Feel Your Feelings January, that's what I call it. I personally, I did this last year and I really liked that. I stopped. I didn't smoke weed. I lasted like 28 days or 23 days or something like that. I went a long time. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to go as long as I can go and feel my goddamn feelings. And I went, I don't know, like three weeks without drinking. It was really great. It was really great. I'm going to do that again for me. You don't have to do it, but you can. But I'm going to go into a book that, woof. So we're going we're gonna to keep diving into this book, Feeling Great, for the next couple of weeks. The last thing I want to say and this is very uh, important. So please listen. Uh, my dear friend, Justin Silver, he's a comedian and he is a dog trainer is just such an understatement of what he does. This, this man, I'm so honored to be his friend and I'm so impressed and honored to be able to see him connect to dogs on a level that I did not know was possible. He didn't, he wasn't trained. He didn't go to dog training school. He just has this intuition and connects to dogs. And it's beautiful. He adopted a, a, a pit bull named Sweet Pea, who was just a ball of love and joy. Sweet Pea was one of Kevin's best friends. The, the size difference <laughs> could not have been bigger between Sweet Pea and Kevin. And we would go, I would go to Justin's house with Kevin because when they first met, we were a little nervous because we didn't know. Justin had just adopted Sweet Pea. Didn't really know a lot of history about where he came from, but did know that he needed a lot of surgeries. His teeth had, his gums had holes in them when Justin adopted Sweet Pea. So he was not in good condition. But Justin, or a Sweet Pea and Kevin, I would bring Kevin over to his apartment and they would play. We wouldn't even talk. Justin and I will talk until we're fucking dead. We have, we talk all the time. We yap, yap, yap to each other. We just always talk. When we're together, we just talk. Because we're both curious about each other and about the world and about others. And we just, we always talk. We're very talkative together. But when I would bring Kevin over, uh, we, we wouldn't say a goddamn word. We would just stare at Sweet Pea and Kevin playing. Because Sweet Pea was fucking gigantic pit bull. Huge. I mean, you saw this dog coming down the street you fucking go oh god gentle as can be but you know pit bulls are so poorly branded by human beings who decide to train them into fighting dogs and that's terrible but pit bulls are wonderful they're my one of my favorite breeds of dog um and we would watch sweet pea and justin play or sweet pea and kevin play and it was like the it was just wild it was it was like watching animation it was like how is this real because Sweet Pea would chase Kevin around and would come barreling through. Chasing, he would chase Kevin, and then when Kevin would get onto the one of the chairs, Sweet Pea would go up onto the chair, and you think, like, oh, my God, he's going to squish him. But he would just, like, playfully pet Kevin with his paw, or, like, he would open his mouth, 
and Kevin will put his head in, in Sweepy's mouth and Sweepy didn't close his mouth. It was just like this weird, I'm like, oh my God, this is the cutest goddamn dog friendship I have ever witnessed. I did not know two dogs could be friends uh, in this way. It was just, it was beautiful. We've tra- Kevin and Sweepy have traveled together and they've had a lot of good times. Um, Sweepy, unfortunately, uh, got went downhill very quickly due to cancer. He had cancer. It was spreading. It it, it was obvious that it spread to his lungs because uh, pretty much he couldn't breathe without an oxygen mask over his snout. And um, Justin texted me um, about a week ago saying that he had to put Sweepy down. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? Huh? He just, huh? Because Justin had gotten all these surgeries for him that were successful. And then he went downhill after one of the surgeries. And, and then they realized this cancer, he had cancer and it spread. And he, he asked if I would go with him. And I said, yes, of course, of course, of course. Um, but I, I didn't, you know, I don't know if you saw the short film I made that Justin was in, uh, Dwell. But the ending monologue, it was about me. It was all true. Like uh, holding my childhood cat in my arms as he got put to sleep and feeling the life go out of his body. And it was just, that fucked me up. But I was like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a more of an evolved human being. I'm more of a whole person. I understand that death is a part of life. It's, it, it's something that happens. Dogs aren't, don't live forever, which is one of the biggest injustices, <laughs> man, that dogs just don't live forever. Um, but I went with Justin to the animal hospital on 59th street um and fdr that's where i took kevin when i thought he was dying but it was really just because he ate the weed uh and i went with justin to to say goodbye to sweet pea and it was it it, it was it was gut-wrenching on a level that i i there's no i can't i'm not gonna try to put it into words um it was really sad and i wanted to dedicate this episode to the loving memory of our guy Sweet Pea, who loved Justin so much. Anytime I was with Justin and Sweet Pea and Justin left the room or he went to go to the grocery store or he like went inside to go to the bed. Anytime we were in a situation where Justin left, Sweet Pea was, his eyes were glued to the door that Justin left from and would not take his eyes off that door until Justin came back. It was, it was just, it was so beautiful to see how quickly they connected and how quickly Justin was able to get Sweet Pea to learn all these very intense, intri- intricate commands. If you go on the language of dogs, and again, all the things that I'm talking about and that I will be talking about for the remainder of this episode, just another minute or two, they're going to be in the description of this podcast. One of the accounts on Instagram that you got to fucking follow. It's called at the language of dogs. It'll be linked in the description. And you'll see videos of Justin training Sweet Pea and Justin training all these dogs and Justin, if you don't know, had a show on CBS, you know, that giant ass network CBS called Dogs in the City, starring him, where he trained dogs in a city, being New York. He had his own show on CBS and he wrote a book called The Language of Dogs. This motherfucker knows dogs. And so we, we what he had been able to accomplish with Sweet Pea uh, in the short amount of time that uh, that he was here was unbelievable. And he, Justin always has had a really healthy, I don't know how to put it, like really healthy outlook on he will not let his dogs suffer ever. He's had many dogs throughout his life. They've obviously all passed away. Um, But he made sure that they did not suffer. And this was an instance where 
He was certain that Sweet Pea was suffering to the point where keeping him on this planet for one more second is just asking him to go through all this pain so that what we can be with him more while he's can barely breathe. And so when we went to the animal hospital and they brought Sweet Pea in, he was had an oxygen tank and he he looked like one of the first thing Justin said was, oh, he's ready to go. He's ready to go. And I, I, I saw it too. And so we, he, we hugged him. We, we talked to, you know, the, the doctor gave us some time alone and then, and then I gave him some time alone. And then Justin kept saying like, it's time, it's time. So I went to the front desk and I was like, Hey, can you get, you can, can you have the doctor come in and, and inject the thing? And then I went back and then like a minute went by, but it felt like a year went by and the, no one came in yet. And so I went back out and I was like, can you have somebody come? And they're like, we're getting it. I'm like, I'm sorry. Sorry. He's just, sorry. So sweet pea is no longer with us but he's not in pain and 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 he what a goddamn impression on my heart justin's heart kevin's heart you can go on justin's instagram to see these videos with him and the progress that he's made it's just incredible but that is all to say that this dedic this this episode is dedicated to sweet pea and to anyone who has ever lost a pet if you have you know it's one of the hardest moments that you'll ever experience. Animals are the only example, but what a, you know, they're such a great example of what it is like to have unconditional love. And I, one of the things, I do a stand-up bit about this, <laughs> about, you know, I got a dog and it took me four days into having this dog for all my childhood trauma to boil up to the surface. And I talk about one night he, I was, he was sleeping in my bed, even though Justin came over and said, don't let him sleep in your bed. He's going to, I was like, okay, yeah, I won't. You can sleep with me, Kevin. And he pooped in my bed and I rolled over in it and I was, and I was mad and screaming, not at Kevin. Cause you know, it's not his fault, but I was just like, you know, when you wake up because you roll in poopy and it's in your eye hole, you know, you're going to be a little pissed. And so your girl not go when she wakes up, especially when there's poopy on her eye. And so I was like, ah, you know, and then Kevin, I, Kevin was just a little fucking puppy. He was six weeks old and he, I could see that he was physically scared by my loud tone. And he like went back, like acted like he like shook a little bit and I felt terrible. And I, and I was like, oh, Kevin, no, it's not your fault. And he came over to me. This is why I say my stand up, but it's, it's completely true. He came over to me and he licked my hand and I broke down crying and I was like, I don't think I deserve unconditional love. Wow, that was fast, guys. Four years of therapy, four days and having a dog, they're equivalent. So that's that's a, the gist of the bit. And I can't, I mean, my God, if you've ever had a pet, you know that the unconditional love is the most beautiful feeling. I've I've been in love in my life I have achieved a lot of really cool things, but nothing feels so purely fucking great as Kevin's love for me. So Justin has a nonprofit organization. It's called Funny for Fido. Um, and he raises money. He used to do back when, you know, COVID wasn't a thing. He would do these big stand-up comedy shows at Gotham Comedy Club Amy Schumer will be there, Jim Gaffigan, and it was all to raise money for Funny for Fido. And this is, I'm taking directly from his website. Funds raised at our events and throughout the year are used to pay for vet veterinary care 
food, training and transport, and temporary or permanent housing for animals that would otherwise be killed. Because a lot of times, pit bulls, if they don't get adopted, and that's why Justin, he, he wants a pit bull. He wants the dog that no one wants. He wants the, like, it's, it's fucking wild what happens to these beautiful animals if they don't get adopted. They get put down. No health problems. They just get put down because nobody wants them. So every dollar that, that is donated to Funny for Fido, his organization, goes to these animals and making sure that that doesn't fucking happen. Okay, if you want to foster a dog, he'll he'll help you with the funds to get the food. If you're broke, but you want to foster, well, you can fucking foster. We'll figure it out. So please, if if you have a dollar to spare, even if it's one fucking dollar. Please, please, please click the link in this description. It's the very first thing before any words. Funnyforfido.org. Please, please donate and follow the language of dogs on Instagram. And and yeah. This episode is for Sweet Pea and for anyone listening who has ever lost a pet. It's, it's, your heart feels empty for a while. And it's important to grieve the loss of, of your pet. It is very important. I say a lot, dogs are better than people. And, you know, I mean that. But that's because, you know, dogs don't have a frontal cortex and they can't be like guilting themselves. But dogs are, dogs are a goddamn gift to this world. And so let's help honor the ones that are here by donating if you can thank you that is all i love you so much congrats on not killing yourself guys it's fucking hard out here but we're trying it we're doing it we're feeling good we're feeling great i would be so daring to say all right talk to you next wednesday i love my dog as much as i love for you for you me think my dog will always come through All he asks from me is the food to give him strength All he ever needs is love And that he knows he'll get So I love my dog as much as I love you But you make a fame My dog will always come through All the pay I need comes a-shining through his eyes I don't need no cold water to make me realize that I love my dog as much as I love you. For you make a thing, my dog will always come through. As I love you, but you make me think my dog will always come through.